Our most gracious God and Father, we thank you that you have gathered us here together tonight to celebrate what is unquestionably the most significant birth in history, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. We thank you, Lord, that uh, that your word records so many details of his birth. Uh, we, We get wonder and awe from reading your word. We pray, Lord, that tonight, uh, as we study your word, that we would glean the attitude of Christ from it about the incarnation, that you would show us his heart, show us his mind, show us his love, uh, in order, Lord, that we would more fully submit our lives to him as Lord. For his glory, we pray. Amen. Well, it is, once again, Christmas time. The time of year when we remember that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, condescended. He took on flesh and he was born of a virgin in a lowly manger. Now there are really two primary places in scripture that you would go to, uh, that you would turn to if you wanted to read about the events that transpired, the events that took place around uh, his birth on that glorious day. The first one is the gospel according to Matthew, and the second one is the gospel according to Luke. But have you ever wondered what Jesus himself would have to say about the incarnation? Now, we actually have his thoughts recorded uh, on the incarnation, recorded for us in Holy Scripture, but to find them, we actually have to go outside of the four gospel narratives. We find his thoughts on the incarnation in two places uh, that we'll be considering tonight anyway, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. Uh, the testimony of the Lord that we're, uh, that we're looking at tonight that we find in the New Testament is actually a quote from the Old Testament. And so it helps us, reading it from the, the New Testament helps us to understand what's written in the Old Testament. So we find the words of our Lord Jesus regarding the incarnation in Hebrews. Of all places, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, where the author quotes from Psalm 40. And this is what Jesus thinks of Christmas. This is what Jesus thinks of the incarnation when he humbly took on flesh and came to dwell among us. His words are recorded right here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. The author of Hebrews writes this. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Well, there you have it. That is what Jesus thinks of the incarnation. This is what Jesus thinks about Christmas. Now, the first thing that we should note as we take a glance at this passage is that it begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you see that word, you need to reflect back on what came before it so that we understand what it's therefore, right? So if we look back at verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 10, we read this. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow 
of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? Now, of course, the author of Hebrews here is referring to the law of Moses. And if you know about the law of Moses, the law of Moses demanded that sacrifices be presented on account of man's sin. But the author of Hebrews is helping us to see that the sacrifices that were prescribed, the sacrifices that were offered, were never enough to satisfy God. They never rendered people perfect. If they had... What he's telling us here is that the sacrifices would have ceased. They wouldn't have needed to do it year after year. Uh, And also the sacrifices didn't remove the sense of guilt because of sin. Man still had a consciousness of it, an awareness of his guilt before God, even after he made those offerings. If the sacrifices of blood, uh, of of bulls and goats, uh, could have actually atoned for sin then people would have had their sin atoned for once and for all, and sacrifices would no longer have been required. They no longer would have been mandatory. And so, what the author of Hebrews is reminding us of here is that the blood of bulls and goats could not reconcile us to God. Instead, they were, as he says, a shadow of the good things to come. See, there's the shadow, there's something that points forward, and then there's the substance, which is the real thing. And the sacrifices prescribed by the law of Moses were the shadow. The substance is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the one who was to come. And so the author tells us in verse 4, at the height of his argument for the insufficiency of the law, the, the inability of the law to reconcile man and God, He says this, he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now that presents us with a crisis. It presents anyone who understood those sacrifices to have actually atoned for sin with a crisis. Because if these sacrifices don't atone for sin, then what possibly could? And the answer is, Jesus. Jesus could. Jesus alone can atone for sin. But what did Jesus think about that? He he dwelled in eternity past with the Father in perfect peace and in power. What did Jesus think about the idea of taking on flesh? We're told exactly what he thought about that. The author of Hebrews tells us, therefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Now, you might notice as you, as you look at that, that there are a lot of yous in there. He's speaking to somebody. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Father. And so we're immediately made aware of the fact that even before he was born, Jesus had a very specific purpose in coming into the world in human flesh. 
And that purpose was not to present the blood of bulls, not to present the blood of goats as an only acceptable offering, but to give himself as the once and for all acceptable sacrifice in God's eyes. Because burnt offerings and sacrifices never actually atoned for sin. They were just a shadow. Jesus is the substance They were a reminder, these sacrifices were a reminder that the wage of sin is death. And they pointed us to the only one whose blood could atone for sin. Now it might seem a little strange that this is what Jesus was focused on when he came into the world. We focus on his birth. He's not saying, oh boy, it's going to be cold down there, isn't it? He's not saying that. That's not what he's focused on. We focus on his birth, and his birth is indeed a a wonderful and and glorious thing. But the birth of Christ isn't all that special, and it isn't all that unique if we do not see his birth in light of his death. If we miss the purpose for which he was born. As he said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We see that this passage ends with the words, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's Jesus speaking to the Father. What was the Father's will? The Father's will was that Jesus would be a Savior. He would be our Redeemer. He would be the once and for all acceptable offering for sin on behalf of all who would repent and believe in him. We miss the entire significance of Christmas if we miss this purpose for which he came and dwelled among us. And so it was that as Jesus entered into the world taking on human flesh, he reflected on taking on human flesh for this purpose, for the purpose of providing salvation. He knew that he alone, that only he was capable of providing salvation by virtue of the fact that he was not only man, but that he was also fully God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He alone would be uniquely qualified to offer himself as a sacrifice because he not only came to do the Father's will, but he alone was capable of fulfilling the Father's will. He alone was capable of staying in the Father's will without ever straying from it. And thus, in order to provide the perfect, unblemished sacrifice, he would have to first live the perfect life. So he came for that purpose as well. He didn't just come to die, he came to live. He came to live in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. Now the final point I want to draw your attention to tonight is that Jesus did not humble himself and take on flesh with a begrudging attitude or with a sorrowful attitude or with an attitude that says, I'd just rather not be doing this. Rather, it was his joy, it was his pleasure, it was his delight to do so because it was his delight to do the Father's will, whatever that might mean. He knew that he would be a man of many sorrows. He knew that he would experience pain. He knew that he would experience thirst and hunger. 
He knew that he would have to suffer a death that only the worst of all evildoers is worthy of, even though he himself would be perfectly blameless and innocent. Jesus didn't condescend with an attitude of reluctance. He didn't condescend with an attitude of of irritation. He he didn't think to himself, you know, kind of like the kids when you ask them to take out the garbage and they say, whatever, mom, I'll just take care of it, whatever, just so she'll stop. He didn't come and say, well, you know, since nobody else is going to do it, I guess I, guess I got to do it. That was not his attitude. No, he delighted. He found joy in coming to do the will of the Father, and thus he delighted to take on flesh so that he could present himself as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice on behalf of all who would repent and put saving faith in him. Jesus delighted in the incarnation. Jesus delights in Christmas. We should delight in the incarnation as well. He says in verse 7, I have come. It's actually in the present tense, uh, which explains why some translations of the Bible say, here I am. But this makes a really important point for us. He has not only come, he's not speaking in the past tense, he's speaking in the present tense. So he has not only come, but he has come never to depart. His name shall be called Emmanuel which means God with us. And friends, he is still with his people. And that's what Jesus thinks about Christmas. That's the reason that the Christmas story, even today, is still alive. Even today moves our hearts. If Jesus came and went and is now nothing but another memory of, a, of the birth of a famous historical person, then Christmas is is meaningless. Then Christmas has no real significance to us. But if the one who came is still here, even today, if he comes to us through his Spirit to apply the salvation that he purchased for us 2,000 years ago and to give us new life in him, then the incarnation, then Christmas, means absolutely everything. It means absolutely everything. The incarnation is everything to those who were ransomed and redeemed by Christ's perfect life and substitutionary death. So I ask you tonight, friends, do you know Jesus in this way? Have you believed in him as the only one who can redeem us from the wage of sin, from the consequence of sin? He has come, and he has promised that he will be with us even until the end of the age. He can be yours tonight. As we sing just a few moments ago, fall on your knees, receive the gift of heaven. He alone, Jesus alone, is qualified to reconcile you to God. And so I pray that you would believe in him and know him as your Lord and Savior tonight. And that knowing him in this way would make your Christmas, your celebration of the incarnation, that much more joyous. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
our most gracious God and Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that from eternity past, he had a present, uh, he had a purpose in this present moment. And that is to ransom and redeem all who believe in him. We thank you for his active obedience, his obedience to your will, constantly, never failing throughout his whole life. And we thank you that he died the death that we deserved, the death that only the vilest of sinners is worthy of, so that we could be reconciled to you by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. Thank you for this wonderful gift of the incarnation. We pray, Lord, that as we reflect on these truths and on the attitude of Christ that he had in eternity past as he reflected on the incarnation, we pray that our lives would reflect his grace, his goodness, his compassion, his willingness to do your will. It's in his name we pray. Take me to